Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claver, your host, and with me today are your two co-hosts. We got Wailu. Sean, how you doing? Why? Good, good. I'd say in the States here, we've got a three-day weekend, so I can't say the same for you. Too no, <laughs> no weekend for us. We're in lockdown anyway. Nothing, nothing to do. So. Yeah. yeah, it's like every weekend, weekends and weekdays are kind of all the same when you're staying at home. You know, you're not going out anywhere, so it's like, it's just another day. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and our other co-host, Caleb Wells, straight hey, from... Guys. Where are you at today, Caleb? I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. Ah. Uh, because of Hurricane Ida. Yeah, it didn't look too good. So New Orleans is like no power for a couple yeah. weeks or even longer, maybe? It depends on the area, but it looks like it's been a week now because well, we've been gone for a week. It hit on Sunday. They they think we're going to get power back in our neighborhood middle of next week. So we got our fingers crossed. We'll see. But yeah, we're 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 up here working at my parents' dining room table. <laughs> you do what you gotta do, right? You gotta so. do what you gotta do. Yep. Totally. All right, let's welcome our guest, Ron Dagdag. Hey Ron. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. How are you? I am doing fine. I'm doing great today. Great. Good. Why don't you start us off just telling us a little bit about yourself? You know, kinda of how what you do and where you work and kind of how you got into .NET? Yeah, I'm Ron Dagdag. I currently work at Spacey as a lead developer, doing a lot of augmented reality, computer vision, machine learning, Internet of Things, doing a lot of Azure Cloud and AI Edge stuff. I've been, I've started as a .NET developer. I started back in 2005, .NET Framework 2.0. Oh, that's good. You didn't have to deal <laughs> with 1.0 and 1.1. Yeah. No master pages. No master that's, pages. That sucked. <laughs> so you started in 2005 and then you just kind of stayed with it for the past 15, 16 years? Yeah, I've been the developer. You know, I was doing a C++ development before I moved to .NET. But of course, back in high school, I, I was born in the Philippines. I started programming back in what, like back in high school, I was started with GW Basic. And uh, yeah, I remember going through trying to learn programming back then. Uh, it's a small town where we live, <laughs> so it's it. You know, we would rent computers to, to learn about programming kind of stuff. And then I went to university and uh, learned computer science back there in the Philippines. And I started as a web developer, doing also desktop development. I remember back in 2000 taking some neural network course 20 years ago and thinking this is too slow and not going to be useful. <laughs> And guess what? I guess we'll, we're using it all today. And of course, you know, then I got into C Sharp and been a .NET developer since then. Yeah, so that was the beginning of the machine learning and everything for you, huh? Well, it's more of desktop development. And then, of course, lately, that's when we started talking about Internet of Things and AI Edge. And then, of course, you know, there's AI right there and you know, do computer vision. And that relates to a lot of machine learning and AI. Okay, so I think our subject today, I think we're going to start off with uh, Jupyter Notebooks. Why don't you give us the the, uh, the intro to what Jupyter Notebooks is, are, and how how we'd use them. Okay, well, let me tell you like a backstory why I got interested in Jupyter Notebooks. Because I've been, yeah, like I said, I've been a .NET developer. And actually, my wife is also a .NET developer. She's been a .NET developer since 2003. It's, you know, she was using .NET 1.1. And then, you know, we're both .NET developers. I work as a, I do, I work for a startup. And then my wife works for like a large enterprise application. 
development. And so we're like, we felt like we're doing the, the application development thing and then started to learn about, you know, started to hear about these Jupiter and data science. And of course, you know, all these uh, data science stuff. So it felt like what there's something that we can do to, to learn that. And as a .NET developer, it's kind of hard to switch from doing Python and and uh, learning .NET same time. So I, I started to research a little bit. And what it came about is looking at this Jupyter, uh, pro- Project Jupyter. And Project Jupyter has been open source since 2015. And it really is to create and share documents that contains any live code or equations, visualization. It's more of a interactive data science and computing. Uh, so that's that's how got, that got me interested because it's, it's a totally different world that I'm so used to as as we as part of uh, .NET developers and able to to understand that hey, there's another world out there called Jupiter. Yeah, it's a it's a planet, right? Yeah, it is a planet. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's the project Jupiter. Actually, where it got its name its name from is actually a combination of Julia, Python, and R, and which are the first kernel that is available on Project Jupiter. And you will hear about, it used to be called IPython Notebooks. And lately, whenever you work with Project Jupiter, you talk about Jupiter Notebooks and Jupiter Lab, those kind of things. So Jupiter spelled with a Y. Yeah, Jupiter is spelled with a Y. Because of Python, yeah, okay. Yes, that makes it. What languages are you currently using for Jupiter or with Jupiter? So I found out that something came out from the .NET team, right? It's called .NET Interactive. And .NET Interactive allows us to, to be able to add C Sharp to Jupyter and also Visual Studio Code. So Visual Studio Code has a way to open Python notebooks or Jupyter notebooks and be able to run these, uh, you know, C Sharp program instead of Python. So I'm using .NET C Sharp inside Jupyter. So what is the use case for, for like Jupyter Notebooks? Are you basically writing your code in there and then, and then just running it? Um, well, the main use case for it is sharing code in terms of, you know, especially I, I'm a Microsoft MVP and I do a lot of demos, right? I do a lot of presentation. And it's just easy enough for someone that does not have a background on C Sharp or something that I want to do to share your demo and be able to kind of walk through with instructions and then the, the code and then the, the output of that code all in one document. So it's a way to be able to share code and also a way to explore data, to visualize your data. So let's say I'm loading a, a CSV file in C Sharp, I can visualize that data and be able to showcase in a graph, for example. So it, so it allows... It, so is it basically like a tiny little program, like a console application that you can... You can basically visualize. It actually runs in the browser. Okay. So, so actually, the easiest way to get into it is actually if you go to the Jupyter Notebooks, uh, to .NET Interactive, it's on GitHub. And there's a way to be able to spin up a, an instance of it without installing anything in your machine. And it would uh, create an instance. And then you can start testing out C-sharp code and you know, be able to, to see it and to, to be able to, to interact with that data. So usually whenever you write a Jupyter notebook, you can have what you call these, the, you know, your text or your description 
and then you have your code and then the output of your code at, at all in the same document. How does AWS run on the browser? Like, is it is it like a backend somewhere? Or? Yeah, there is a backend somewhere that that runs and and serve Jupyter. But in order to access it, you access it on a browser. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's just okay, it's easy tough. enough to. It, it's not using WebAssembly or Mono or anything like like Blazor does. So how yeah. is it transferring the data or compiling it for the web? So there is a there is a kernel in the back end in the in the server that runs your code. So it sends back and forth. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it, is that similar to server side Blazor? Something like Signal R is their own their their own technology that they have talking back and forth. It's kind of it's it's a different experience than the usual okay. way you write code. That's the reason why I got excited for it. It's totally yeah. so different from the the way we would we would create or we would we would write code. But this is geared towards data exploration. It's geared towards being able to test snippets. And actually, there is a PowerShell also. So it's not just limited to C sharp, F sharp. Imagine PowerShell commands and usual the usual. Problems with running PowerShell is that you don't capture the output, and if you want to share that information to your teammate, you typically you do a screenshot, you copy and paste it, and be able to showcase and explain what's going on with that script. This one allows you to capture the output and also allows the the your teammate before he runs it, he kind of expects what it's going to look like, and he can run the run the code. I think that's pretty useful. Right? Yeah. So here's an example of what. What it kind of looked like. We don't where do you um, have, we, we don't do video. Yeah. So yeah, we don't. Our view is my best. Yeah. So, so. And maybe we can describe it a little bit more to our audience, and that's the reason why we might want to look into, you know, where you have your code, and then, and then also it supports. It also supports like Markdown. So you have your Markdown, and then based from your Markdown, you can put comments, instructions, how to run it, and then you have the code, and then the output of that code. So when you run it. It's kind of like you run it line by line, line by line, right? It's kind of like, it's like a REPL, but the output goes back together with your code. It's a captured REPL. So this seems like it would be very similar to like having OneNote where you can mm-hmm. actually put code in it and have it run. Yes, yes. It's, see how it's different? It's, it feels like a different world from the usual way we do programming, right? In, in .NET and in, in C and also F Sharp. Especially when you're testing new ways and or you're trying to explain something to explain the new you know, how how you would write this code, this would be a good example or a good way of of explaining it to someone. And also, not just that, it's it allows you to have plots, math, you know, be able to to display it, the math formulas and those kind of things too. So that you can have a little more rich output than just like a console? Yes, yes. So it's it's self-documenting code in a way, right? You're, you're not self-documenting. You're, you're documenting instructions and how you would run this code, especially when for a beginner. If, imagine if you're a PowerShell, right? PowerShell, all your PowerShell commands, you're, you're running it and giving you kind of examples line by line of how you would manage your Azure connection, how you would connected the descript, you know, to to which subscription you're connecting to, what resource group, all the all your commands in order to to spin up that let's say an Azure VM. And it kind of gives an explanation and the output based on that. Cool. And is this yeah. so is this supported by like GitHub? Like can you basically put this code on on GitHub and then 
and then I guess yes. point you to can, it. Yeah, you can actually save it as a Python notebook, and and then it would just you can you can even have Visual Studio Code. You can even open this Python notebook in Visual Studio Code, and it would automatically install everything that it needs. If it needs .NET Interactive, it automatically installs that. So let's say you, you know you found a Python notebook that has a .NET kernel at the back end or PowerShell kernel at the back end, then you can actually uh, open that in Visual Studio Code, and then it would download all, everything that it needs as long as you have the .NET Interactive add-in. The, the .NET Interactive, it will prompt you to, to download the .NET Interactive add-in, and then it would be able to display properly, and then you can interact with that code. So if you were to basically run this from a, from a website, would, would there be a service that would have the backend for you or would you still have to kind of host it for the backend, the backend so, that runs all the, the .NET code? Yeah, so yeah, it, on, in Visual Studio Code, it becomes your backend, right? You don't have to install any server because it's running locally in your machine. But if you yeah. run it in the browser like this, right, Jupyter yeah. Notebook, then you have to have a Jupyter server or Jupyter Lab running in order to, to do this. Okay, so I'm just wondering if there's a, like, if you had a, if you put it on like a gist in, in GitHub or something like that, would, would there be a service that you can just automatically have it so you can just host it on a website? Yes, there's actually, trying to bind, it's called Binder. That act, you know, like if you go to .NET Interactive and go to where you can just launch Binder, so yeah. there's a button on here, it would open up a, it would spin up a Docker Docker container for you on the fly, and then it would, and, and then that's how I'm running this this demo. That's how I'm running my demos, and so that let's say uh, since it has its own environment, everything else that it needs is already there. Mm. And it installs everything that it needs in order to host it. So there's the user doesn't have to install anything on their machine, and it just runs on on this binder. Does it support things like? NuGet packages and things like that that you can add in there? Yes, there is. You can actually, there's just one line of code in order to do NuGet packages. There is a way you can specify it up front where it's percent %R. Yeah, this one, number sign R. It's a hashtag R, I guess. that, And then you specify the NuGet package and the version number. And it would knows, it knows how to download that package. And then you That's then, cool. yeah, and then you can, can have interaction with that there. One of the new features that I saw and I, I thought I was I got in, interested in it and is that anyone heard of uh, Sand? It's called Sand Sand Dance, Microsoft Sand Dance, which is which is an extension. You can it's a way to visualize code, and I think it's it's interesting how it can kind of visualize create graphs for you, so based from your da- data. And be able to do that. So in you can create a notebook like this and be able to, to, to create a graph. You can create stacks, a tree map, those kind of things. So it depends on how you want to visualize your data, even if you're just looking at the CSV file or your connection to a database. So it has charting built into it that you can yeah. feed it some data and it'll give you a chart? Yes. All right, it'll, nice. it'll give you a chart. So you what's... Can, the- yeah, what's the main use case? Is it just like an interactive wiki and documentation, or is there other use cases that it's meant for? Well, I was actually, Ron, I, that was a suggestion I was going to make. And I don't know if you've done this within your company, but I know in my company, we use Confluence a lot, right? And it means we have 
C-sharp snippets or PowerShell in the Confluence, right? You have to, you're going to have to copy them out, put them in the right console, the right environment to run them properly. Yes. You could do all this inside of Jupyter without having to leave the instructions. Yes. You can, yeah, the easiest way for us is I have a Python notebook and I can just have that in, in our repository, right? And then you know, whoever wants to use it can check it out, get it on their, their browser, uh, get it in Visual Studio Code, and then run it. There's no install. You know, once you have .NET Interactive installed in Visual Studio Code, and then you should be good to go. You mentioned being able to spin up Docker container with Binder. Can you do Docker inside of a Jupyter notebook? Yeah. Like you have can. the code to build up? to spend a build a Docker container, like for a new developer, right? And they don't know anything about our system. We point them to the instructions and they can all run it from there. Is that possible? Yeah, so there's instructions and in how you would do that. Actually, they did a good job. .NET Interactive team did a good job of documenting things that you can do with this. And you can create, you can actually have it inside a Docker container. There's a Docker file, the example that, that there that installs you know, everything that it needs, .NET, it installs Jupyter. Actually, one of the presentations I did was to even install it into a Raspberry Pi, okay? And on that Raspberry Pi, I I dockerized everything. And and I was able to to interact with the sensors on the Raspberry Pi and read it using .NET in IoT and read sensor data. And then based from that sensor data, I was able to visualize that sensor data and create a mini dashboard. And it's part of like a tutorial and you know, step-by-step in what I did. And I think that's, it's it's like, like I said, it, for me, it's like a different world from what the, you know, the .NET developers are so used to, right? The creating applications. And this is more of data exploration and being able to, to kind of interact with that data, you know, create graphs, create visualizations against that data without really creating a new application, but it's more of a document and instructions. So .NET Interactive is maintained by Microsoft, right? Yes, it is actually on GitHub, open source. Okay, all right. Yeah. How long is this, The how long have they been working on this? I, I know they you released know? it last year in 2020. Okay. When they did okay. a preview back in 2019. But there's a lot of, you know, it's not just limited to C-sharp, but there's F-sharp and like PowerShell. But I believe they're also uh, looking, you know, you can actually do JavaScript and HTML on that on that Python notebook. And, and also it has Azure Data Studio. Azure Data Studio also has that capability to run PowerShell scripts too. Yeah, I can see this is a pretty good use case to make is I basically, like, I'm pretty prolific in in terms of documenting everything I learned just for while I'm coding. And I've just got everything stuck in a in a OneNote. But, um, yeah, I can see myself, like, referencing, like, snippets of code that I can run and I can describe it as well. So, yeah, this is this is quite useful. Yeah. And so I think one of the, the usefulness that I see, especially in the PowerShell world, the commands that you run and documenting those commands, right? Is I mean the problem with, for C- oh, good. Yeah, the problem for me with the, the PowerShell stuff is a lot of stuff I do on the PowerShell stuff is um I do it like like that infrastructure sort of things. Like you wouldn't be able to really 
run it about the context of all the infrastructure. But I guess if I was writing PowerShell things for like, you know, spinning up Azure resources and things like that, and things that I could clean up after the notebook's finished, then, then that would work. Yeah, because you're on the exploration stage, right? You're building your infrastructure, mm. you're building those instructions, and then once you're ready, and then then you can you can automate. So this would be a good back and forth understanding where it's at, what steps you've done, and, and it kind of allows you to document the output also with whichever errors. But on the .NET, I think it's on the .NET side or C Sharp, especially if there's new things that you just want to try on the language itself, instead of creating a console app, this is the quickest way that you can start mm. experimenting the, or a new library that you just wanted to 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 try out. That's a good way. Yeah. This actually makes me think of like some of the companies that do video training. And some of them, you have the interactive section where you have, mm. here's what you do on the left, do it on the right. It runs it and verifies you did it correctly. You think Jupyter Notebooks without that interactive would be a good tool for that without having to build your own, right? Because yeah. I think that's what a lot of these companies have done. It, it's actually helping me learn ML.net because okay. a lot of it is more being able to create an experiment, right? Uh, so I'm, you know, be able to to go step by step, especially if you're you're trying to understand what the other the data scientists have done. If they're using, if they're familiar with .NET, a lot of the data scientists uses Python. So a lot of examples are, are actually in Python Notebook, and we'll see that in a lot of places there. You can run it locally in your machine, or it actually connects to uh, to the Azure Machine Learning Studio, uh, Azure Machine Learning. And so you'd be able to interact with that, especially if you're calling the APIs and submitting batches of work to that. There's a, there's a way you can do that here. I could see this being useful for like conferences and workshops and things like that. So that the, the people that are trying to work and learn it don't have to sit there and type all this stuff in. It can be just, you know, shows yes. them step by step and they can copy and paste or they can run it right there. I think that would be a good thing. Yeah. And also because of rich media right so you can actually create links you can you know add photos you know something that would you can create plots you know because markdown you can add markdown plus the code right so there's a lot of capabilities you know, to be able to to kind of step by step understand what's going on and have some explanation yes even some of the like the microsoft learn documentation like for Azure, I find myself a lot of times just like having to just have two screens, paste paste in what what they've set up, got to run, and then run on a second screen. So they could they could easily make that experience better by using these these notebooks, just embedding it into the into the website. So I agree. Is there any uh, limitations to it? Things that you can't do. Things that you can't do. I mean, you can't I mean, really write a full blown multi-page application and right whatever yeah right? it's it's not really targeting creating application but it's more of document right that's why it's like a notebook right it's scratch paper where you experiment and be able to explore a uh, question though and, and this sean will like this sean loves LinkPad, right is this something that you could have like your 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 link, or you could have some SQL script or whatever 
And like you said, it's just it's a notepad, scratch, scratch pad, mm-hmm. and actually run it within the Python notebook and have it return um, a value from from a database instead of using something like LinkPad. Yeah, actually, uh, Azure Data Studio has a way you can create notebook and okay. you can actually run you know you PySpark commands, Python commands, PowerShell, and SQL. So if you want to document your SQL commands and then get the results together in one document, this you know notebooks are the way to go. And you'll see that that it's not just limited like on Data Studio or not just limited on Visual Studio Code, but actually it, it allows you to be able have different kernels in the backend. Meaning, you know, it could be it could be VS Code or Spark.net. You can actually have it. There's actually the, a project for where you can have teams or bots and be able to go back and forth with a Jupyter or the .NET Interactive as a as a backend, and then each command would result back to however the, the code is running. That makes sense. Yeah, I know that Sean, like you said, instead of having to spin up a console app and get your code set up and then run it and see a result. He uses LinkPad for, for the same thing. He yeah. can do some simple, a simple app with some simple calls and, and get the result he expects. What do you think is the biggest hurdle to getting into Jupyter and learning it? I think the, a lot of people are not familiar with it, right? And I think having, the, having it easier to install it in Visual Studio Code Makes it reduces that hurdle. If you have this Python notebook extension, it knows how to open it. It knows what it needs in order to, you know, if it has a C sharp kernel that it needs in the back end, it knows. Hey, I need to install this, this, and that. Then it then you can you can start interacting with with that in Visual Studio Code. Uh, Jupyter, of course, if you if you have Anaconda, there's also another way that you can you can install. There, there's a little bit of instructions in order to to get it running in Jupyter notebook uh, in Jupyter Lab. Uh, but other than that, once you get you get it installed, then it's it's easy enough. And of course, like what I said, there's it's also containerized, so you can spin up a, an instance of it and start interacting in there without the installation. So, what else should we know? What what haven't we covered about Jupyter notebooks and .NET Interactive that we should know about? Of course, it's open source, right? <laughs> so that, I think that's. That's the interesting part that it's it's being developed. There's a lot of things that I've noticed for the past. They like I said, the the sand dance in, integration is cool. You can do visualizations better that way. There is a different extensions. So if you want to do to to kind of connect it with SQL Server and and explore, uh, you can you can do that. There's also connection with in, interact. I've noticed that it's it continuously being developed. I kind of like the, you know, I, I enjoy Internet of Things. And for me, that was that was like a big win. If you can just interact with your hardware back and forth and and learn, you know, let's say how you can you can LED turn turn it on and turn it off, those kind of things. And if you're if you're experimenting, that is really great rather than compiling the code, running it. And then of course there's an error. It's, it becomes kind of like a REPL, right? Uh, be able to get the instant feedback. Hey, my code didn't work. What's wrong? 
what happened, those kinds. Of, and then I can just modify it, change the pin number, how it would connect. I think that's that's a good use case, especially you're exploring and learning. Do you know what? Do you know anything about the future of Jupyter Notebooks and .NET Interactive? Where's it I, going? I've noticed that it's being a lot of the Microsoft products. They they started integrating a lot of these notebooks into to the different database different databases. So I know there was one for Cosmos DB that was uh, actually was a problem. I don't know if you heard of the news. I think it came out that there was a there was a bug on that Jupyter notebook. In, uh, in Cosmos DB, but it's already fixed and all that. I've noticed that doing uh, PySpark, if you're doing a, a lot of the data science stuff, they started to integrate uh, notebooks into it too. And uh, Azure uh, Azure Machine Learning also has integration with notebooks. And so Microsoft is more invested in it. Any more questions? I'm good. It's cool stuff. Got to go have a play around it. So. Yeah, like I said, it's, it's so easy to to get it to get started on it. There are few there are instructions on the GitHub.net interactive in how to get get started, how to install it locally, if you want to install it locally. If you want to install it on Raspberry Pi, there's a way you can you can do that too. One thing I found out working on this project too mm-hmm. is there is PowerShell in in Linux now. I I did not know that. <laughs> you can actually run those your, you know, the, if you're a PowerShell developer. You can actually run some PowerShell commands in Linux, and you can use this to test. I think a lot of PowerShell is running .NET Core in, in the background, right? Yeah. So because .NET Core runs in Linux, you can. Yeah, so. Yes. Okay. Well, if that's it, I think uh, it's time to move on to picks. What do you guys think? Ready? Yep. Okay. Cool. Cool. All right, Caleb. What's your pick? Oh, oh, I get to go first. Today? You can go first. Hey. So my pick actually goes right along with what I've been dealing with this past week with Hurricane Ida and no electricity, right? Um, especially in New Orleans with the humidity, um, you don't want your inside of your house to turn into a swamp while you're gone, right? And um, so I actually went down a couple of days ago and made sure the house was was good and there weren't any problems. But I put damp red in every room of the house. And it's basically... It's like that that silicate or whatever it sucks up whatever moisture is in the air, and so it it makes sure that you know you don't have that build up of the moisture and stuff while your AC isn't running. So there you go, damp red. Um, the other thing where people hopefully it'll help. In like a locker or something else, so that then it doesn't yeah get all smelly. Yeah, that works. Yeah, yeah? okay. Well, we're, we're, we're going to find out. We, we, got, <laughs> we got some that sit on the ground. We got some that were hanging bags. And the hanging bags actually have like a section at the bottom where all the moisture gets funneled into. So these bags get full of water. So I guess we'll find out when we go back to the house in a few more days. <laughs> well, uh, this is mainly just for humidity, right? It's not for actually yes. water and, and things like that. So no, no, it's uh, well. What I'm using it for is for humidity. I think they have several use cases on their their website, right? For like making things smell better, or um, if you've say you've got a room that's got an issue and you don't have a dehumidifier, this may work in a pinch. But yeah, right, cool. All right, why? What's your pick? So my pick this week is probably going to be pretty much over by the time this goes to air. But um, it's actually the the Paralympics. I've been watching a little bit of that lately. 
Um, yeah, I actually think it's actually more interesting than the than the real Olympics. Well, not the real, the, the normal. What's the word? Whatever. The the Olympics, the Tokyo Olympics. Just um, the Olympics, just because, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 just because, like, it's 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 just really um, awesome seeing all these athletes just kind of competing. Um, and 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 the way they change the sport. I was watching like the way they play table tennis. Um, there's a guy who only uses his mouth, and there's like a blind soccer type thing. So yeah, that's fine. It's it amazing what they can do. Yeah. Some some yeah, yeah really. sure. it is crazy. Yeah. I caught a little bit of it. You know, I saw some guys playing uh, tennis in wheelchairs. It's like, man, that's got to be <laughs> an upper body workout just galore. Oh, nice. And, and like, you know that if you, even if, if you were play against them, you, you'd probably win a chance, even though <laughs> oh, they're yeah. in a wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I didn't catch the rule differences. It seemed like there might be a rule difference where it could bounce twice. So they're allowed two bounces before they have to hit it or something like yeah. that. But I could yeah. be wrong, but that's just what I saw by watching a few minutes. Mm. All right. So uh, my pick this week is a database. And it, I found this when I was trying to, you know, write a little side project program about, you know, stock trading that I've been doing. So one of the brokers I have, I use has an API. So I was like, okay, I can connect to the API. I can get data, but I need to store it. And I didn't want to, you know, have a full-blown database. So I thought about, like uh, SQLite or some other things. And it's like, well, let's see what, what's out there. And I stumbled upon LightDB. And it's actually a .NET based database. And it's real simple. It's real lightweight. It's just a single package install. And then you just give it a location, put the file on your on your drive somewhere. And it just runs and does everything in there. And it's 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 pretty fast. It's easy. It's lightweight. And uh, so far, it seems to be uh, running real well for just my little, you know, sample app for downloading stock data. So, is it like SQLite? It's very, um, very much. I think like like SQLite. It's a sing, single data file, but it, you know, it it's also full asset transactions and portable and lots of different things. I've I've gone all the way through it and doing things, but uh, just for storing stuff and putting it in. It is a document type database, so it's not relational. So since I was just stuffing in JSON, that worked well for me. So check it out if you have a, a need for a little small little database. All right, Ron, what's your pick? Well, my pick is one I've been, I've been experimenting these days and learning about uh, Azure Percept dev kit. Azure Percept, is especially for Internet of Things, uh, it has a camera on it and they also have a microphone and a and so you can actually use use it for AI at the edge. So being able to deploy your machine learning uh, models into it and run it, run that machine learning models at the edge, right? Uh, closer to, to the user at the end of the day. So this use case for it is more for monitoring because you know, it has a camera. You can actually make it as a kind of like a smart assistant also uh, and anyway there's a lot of different use cases that i think it's it, especially if you're a person wanted to just start learning internet of things it's a it's a good start to ramp up uh, about internet of things in azure so it's like a piece of hardware you can buy like yes. like, a, like a technical version of google home or something like that um, you can, yeah so you can you can buy it and it it comes with the the camera it comes with the you know the compute 
and you can actually deploy containers, Docker containers on that compute. And actually, I'm installing Node-RED on it and experimenting or Azure Functions. You can actually install Azure Functions running on that device. So it's, you know, you have your own cloud at the end, your own serverless at the end. Mm. All right, Ron, if our listeners have any questions and they want to reach out and, and ask you something, how can they get in touch? Best way to contact me is through Twitter, at Ron Dagdag. Uh, LinkedIn also is, the, is, a, is a good way to contact me. You search my name, Ron Dagdag. All right. Sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Ron. If our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. They can find me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And I'm uh, Caleb Wells Coates. All right. That's, that is my favorite part of every show. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy for you, Caleb. Thank you. Thank you. I am too. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye.